Netflix's Q1 23 results suggest strong future revenue growth from its ad-supported tier and upcoming account sharing curves. We share some rough math to illustrate. Listen on to learn more. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News and Colin Dixon from Endscreen Media joins me as always back from NAB show. Colin, how was it? It was great, Will. Uh, really, it, we, we're not getting back to pre-pandemic levels yet. I think I read that there was 50,000 attendees versus 90 90 odd thousand attendees before the pandemic in 2019. But it was a pretty interesting show. Um, the West Hall, of course, is re- still relatively new. And I spent a lot of time in the West Hall and at the Wynn and at the Encore at meetings. So, yeah, it was good. Great. Well, I mean, any one or two things that kind of jumped out at you that uh, you took away without spending too much time on it? Yeah, major theme to the show. I don't think anybody will be surprised by AI was enormous. Every single meeting, I think it came up and uh, cloudification of everything. So everything's moving into the cloud. But I think everybody knew that too. One one interesting thing that did pop up was live sports. Um, a lot of people wanted to talk about live sports, Will and. You know, we're all trying to figure out this equation of how live sports does in streaming because it looks like, you know, with the Sinclair Bally Sports failure, that it isn't going to be quite as attractive model as traditional pay TV. And one of the things that popped up there was a couple of couple of people were talking about the fact that IP gets you, uh, gives you the ability to monetize some content that you might not have been able to use before. And so, you know, there, there there was a really good example, I thought, was they were talking about World Cup rights, for example. And uh, when, you know, the, obviously the live games are the premium yeah. property there, but you weren't able to monetize something like the, the, the draw for the groups, for the group play. Yeah. You know, not a big draw, but yeah. there is an audience for that. So you can monetize that in IP in in streaming and you couldn't in traditional broadcasting. So there's lots of opportunities like that, I think. I think that's right. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happens beyond the playing field or court, whatever it's called by sport that is potentially monetizable. Just, you know, obviously look at the drafts that the NFL and NBA uh, have all capitalized on. But uh, just um, picking up on that theme of sports, Colin, uh, for me, news item this week hit my radar right at the beginning was an article in the athletic which i typically don't read although i i like the headlines but i just haven't subscribed but um article uh back on the 14th so actually i guess that was last late last week um and it was a recap of what mlb commissioner rob manfred was telling a an event that he spoke at back in late March at the Paley Media Council Center. And he starts by saying that the Cardinals, the St. Louis Cardinals, <laughs> only 15% of that market has access to the Cardinals games now. Wow. 15%, yeah, which is wow. <laughs> pretty mind-boggling when you think about it. And 
uh, he didn't get into the details of that other than say cord cutting and that the RSNs like Diamond did not get full distribution. I don't know the St. Louis market at all, but my hunch is what he's really saying is that Diamond and whoever the RSN is there uh, overshot their pricing and the operators said, no, thank you. And as a result, their carriage got cut down to basically just 15% of the market, which is obviously not good for anybody. But the overall theme of the article is that Manfred has a vision of having all 30 teams digital rights, their streaming rights, both in market and out of market, available in one gigantic streaming service. So um, that would obviously completely rearrange the deck chairs of who has what rights in the industry and arguably would, I think, spell the end of regional sports networks as they're known today or as they've been known. It remains to be seen how long they have to live on even without Manfred pushing for this. But uh, it's going to be a tough slog to get all 30 corralled into one nationwide network. But um, that actually aside, I, I just want to, if I may, spend one minute reading verbatim uh, his quotes at the end of the article, which for our devoted Inside the Stream podcast listeners will sound very much like an echo of what they have heard on this podcast before. So Manfred is now talking about, just to segue in, the section of the interview, the recap, is when he's talking about the revenue model, MLB and sports' total revenue model. So Manfred says, quote, the tougher challenge is the replication of the revenue, Manfred said. Quote, it's a great business model when a whole bunch of people pay for something they don't really care if they have or not, which is what the cable bundle did for us. It's hard to replicate that. And then the article says, but Manfred and the head of the Players Association, Tony Clark, appear to agree on one point. The financial ding won't last long. Quote, there will be a downward tick on the revenue side. I think it's going to be a trough, Manfred said. I firmly believe in the value of the content. And I really believe that we're smart enough to figure out a combination of distribution mechanisms that keeps that revenue stream as a growing stream. If I'm wrong, and you know, I can be wrong. If I'm wrong, yeah, the relationship between revenue and player salaries in sports is pretty clear. Even if it's not fixed in a salary cap system, our number is 48% of revenue goes to players kind of every year. If revenue goes down, it's bad for everybody involved, quote. Now, (laughs) that, as I say, should sound familiar to our listeners because that's a drum that we've been beating for a long time here. And I've been saying that I think that if I were an agent right now and I were negotiating for one of my superstar players, I would be shortening up these contracts and getting the max per year because I think it's not going to be long before this whole RSN business and the sports broadcast business in general is going to slide downward. And as Manfred says, 
the relationship between the league's revenue and the players' salaries is direct and correlated. If it goes down because there's cord cutting or streaming or they can't replicate the economics, etc., it flows directly into lower player salaries. It flows directly into lower franchise values. And I believe that that is a world that is just ahead, uh, not that far down the road for all of us. And uh, I believe if I'm interpreting Manfred's comments correctly, and I should mention, by the way, that Manfred and I are graduates of the exact same university and college within the university. Both of us graduated from Cornell and from the School of Industrial Labor Relations at Cornell. Uh, so I know Manfred is a smart guy because only smart people go to that school. <laughs> That's a joke, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I think his words speak for themselves. And if this RSN sports broadcasting business goes down the hill, the player salaries go along with them. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. That that one line, when a whole bunch of people pay for something they don't really care about, that's it right there, right? That's that's the model that was holding up the RSNs and, uh, you know, to, to a greater extent, the whole pay TV ecosystem. And as we know, it's unraveling very rapidly. The sports tax, that was the sports tax that has been written about and talked about so many times, the multi-billion dollar sports tax that the non-sports fans have been paying all these years to have those RSNs and national networks like ESPN and Fox Sports bundled in whether they ever watched a game or not. Yep, yep, exactly. And the truth is that uh, now they don't have to pay it anymore. Yep. And they aren't. <laughs> it's that yep. simple. Yeah. So. Although I have to say, Colin, caveat on that, because to the extent that the streaming services like Apple and Amazon pick up these sports rights at big numbers, those numbers will get reflected back into those streaming services prices at some point also, unless they're priced a la carte, like what YouTube is doing with the NFL Sunday ticket. So we may not be fully escaping the, the clutches of the expensive sports. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, to some extent, you're right. But let's be clear. It's very clear, I think, certainly what Amazon is doing with sports and why they're picking up sports. And it's not because they want to make a whole bunch of money with sports. It's because they want to make a whole bunch of money from people spending <laughs> spending money in the Amazon store. It's all about getting Prime memberships and keeping Prime members. And so I don't know. I don't know if it's the same game. And I tell you what, you're in a heap of trouble if you end up, you're a sport and you'll end up completely dependent on a, on a single platform. Yes. Um, that yeah. has historically not been the way yeah. to uh, to be successful and, and maximize your revenue. You want you want flexibility, right? And if that platform happens to be run by Apple, Amazon, or Google, three of the toughest companies in the world to negotiate with. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that, Rob. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, uh, we, we've talked about dominant those dominant guys. Let's talk about Netflix, which still continues to ride high, ride pretty high. And I think it's fair to say that they had a reasonable quarter, although it doesn't sound like the financial community was very happy because I noticed the stock fell. And I think that was probably primarily because they were below their estimate for what they were going to earn in revenue but everything else was okay they picked up 1.75 million subscribers globally 
uh, which is not, I guess, which is okay. And their revenue was up. They earned $1.2 billion in Q1 2023 versus about $7.9 billion a year earlier. So revenue is going in the right direction. And they finished with 232.5 million global paid subscribers. Digging into that just a little bit so that you can see how they did in the regions. Almost no growth at all in the United States and Canada. They added just 100,000 subscribers in that region. Most of the growth Which came, was better, just to interject for a second, Colin, which was better than the 640,000 that they lost in UCAN a year ago. So right. just to add that, it is moving in the right direction. <laughs> it, it is. As you say, they're a little bit below where they were in 22Q1, about 0.2% down by my, by my calculation. Still doing pretty well in EMEA. Most of the growth came there, 77.4 million, and that's up about 5% from a year ago. LATAM also pretty good. 4.1%. And let's see, Asia Pac, that was the best region. They were up 17% to 38 million. Asia Pac has been doing really, really well. Well, and actually, what I think going on there is I don't know if people remember that Netflix actually lowered the price at the beginning of the year in a lot of regions and a lot of countries. And Asia Pac, I think, was the major beneficiary there. And I think that's why we saw such good growth in that region this year. That's the sort of top level results. Now, there were some really interesting announcements. And why don't we talk about, why don't we get into the password sharing first, Will? That was kind of interesting. Yeah. So I think you're going to handle the password sharing, which for which they announced uh, once and for all their timing in the U.S. and also internationally. You're going to talk about password sharing. Then I'm going to talk about the economics of the ad-supported plan, which I think we can all agree are way beyond anything that could have been imagined. So yeah. this quickly as well. So why don't you yeah. go ahead? Go, why don't you go ahead and password share? So basically, they're they're pretty happy now with the way things have gone in the areas in the areas where they've tested this, and it's Canada and a couple of Latin American countries. Uh, so they they say that they are going to roll out in the in start rolling out in the rest of the world in Q2. And actually, the US is going to see password sharing curbs come in. And what you're going to see there is a sort of two-tier approach. Tier one is that you will be limited to having one additional location for which you'll be charged. And it's not clear exactly how much they're going to charge. They didn't state what the charges would be, but I don't know, I would guess 3 to $4 a month for an extra location. So there's that piece. And the second piece is basically, you know, if, if whoever is paying for your subscription when you're sharing, if they decide not to include that location, then you're going to be encouraged to sign up and they Netflix will port your settings 
from the one that you've been sharing into the new subscription so they already have that tool launched that's already available and of course the good news there is that they have this new cheaper tier which is seven dollars a month with which is including ads which we'll get into a, uh, a little bit now they seem to think their experience in in the countries where they've launched this they seem to suggest that you're going we're going to see a small decrease in subscribers in q2 in the us because of this uh, not a mass dash for the exits but a small decrease um, as people react um, but they seem to be fairly bullish they seem to think that things will come back fairly quickly and that they have the tools in place to manage the transition pretty well and uh, i gotta tell you well i i'm i'm fairly convinced that actually this they may lose a few subscribers but i think it's going to be revenue accretive that they're actually going to end up earning more money this way than they did before and that's you know through the two ways one one is people paying for that extra location and the other way is i think a lot of people particularly they say that there are quite a lot of those people that are sharing who are actually watching Netflix a heck of a lot. And it's very likely that they'll pick those up as subscribers. So they may see a dip in Q2, but I fully expect it to come back. So I think they'll end up doing better. Well, they said that they're already doing better. You mentioned Canada. You, they said that they've already, since they introduced password sharing, uh, the, the elimination of password sharing, that in Canada, they've already returned to positive member and revenue growth versus pre-rollout of the limitation on password sharing. So I think they believe that Canada and maybe these other markets are a real predictor or proxy for what's going to happen in the U.S. And yeah, yeah. if that indeed ends up being correct, which they're obviously betting a lot on, then yeah, they're gonna have a little dip initially, a little bit of outrage, and then people are gonna realize they can't live without their Netflix and they're gonna start signing up for their own accounts. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. And you know, we've seen a lot of, there's been a lot of noise from people uh, having surveys and I don't know, coming back, we're coming back with crazy numbers of people that say they're angry and will cancel if network Netflix does this. But I don't see it well. I just don't see it happening. It's kind of like cutting the nose off to spite your face. There will be some people who maybe will cancel who weren't using it a lot. Um, if, But the truth is, if they weren't using a lot and they're not sharing, they're not going to see a price increase. So and if they are using it a lot and they're not sharing, there's no price increase. So why would you cancel? It's only the people that now find themselves in the situation where they have to spend more con to continue to share and use in the way that they have been. And, uh, you know, if they're using it, well, they can cut people off and continue to use it. So I just don't see, I don't see a mass of people hitting the exits. There will be some people that cancel. Uh, but even those that do, if they really were using it they'll probably come back in the end anyway the next time there's a big netflix show or big movie that they want to watch yeah i mean it may lead to a little bit of churning maybe people will pay more attention to their bills and drop in and drop out but even that takes work to do yeah so i agree with you i think you know there will be some foot stomping for sure there will be some people who drop out some people who don't pick it up but um 
it seems like based on Canada, it's going to normalize. But uh, so that's one big reason to be optimistic about Netflix subscriber growth going into maybe the late part of this year, Q4, yeah, Q4. give or take. Um, yep. You know, certainly with the holiday time that people are more inclined. Uh, but arguably, the bigger reason to be optimistic about Netflix's revenue growth is the new information that they revealed about the progress of the ad-supported tier. And remember, this is really only about six, seven months ago that they even launched this thing. And they revealed a, I think, very significant factoid, which is that the uh, ad-supported plan, which costs $7 per month, basic with ads, that the revenue per member is actually for the for the basic ad supported plan is actually higher than it is for the quote standard plan which costs fifteen dollars and fifty cents per month so you're talking about fifteen fifty minus seven dollars the difference is eight dollars and fifty cents netflix is saying that essentially that they make more than eight dollars and fifty cents in ad revenue from those basic with ads subscribers than uh, they make with the standard plan. So they make something north of $15.50 per month uh, total, which is again, eight fifty more. And if you do $8.50 out of fifteen fifty, that means at least 55% at least 55% now of a basic with ads subscribers total revenue per month to Netflix, at least 55% comes from ads with the other 45% coming from the direct payment, the $7 monthly subscription. That's just a couple of quarters into the launch of the ad business in the first place they've already accomplished that. And later in the earnings call, Spence Newman, when asked if the margins, what the margin profile looks like on the ad business, and was asked, is it around 50%, is it higher, is it 80%? His response was that we're being conservative in talking about 50%, but that we ultimately believe that it's a meaningfully over 50% margin business. So Netflix is going to be generating a ton of money off of advertising, already 55% of total basic with ads, ARPU. And that's only going to increase going forward. And the margin on that incremental 55% is going to be meaningfully above 50%. So what all that's, and, and by the way, they also decided to add in some additional features on the basic with ads plan, like improved resolution and a couple other things, which, you know, don't matter to everybody, but on the margin will drive some people to pick up the basic with ads plan rather than the full standard plan or other pure ad-free plan. Um, and they also said that they have not seen really any meaningful shift 
from paid subscribers dropping down to the ad supporter plan. So this is essentially incremental growth. So when I step back and I look at all that, that makes me think that Netflix going into the ad business, finally, 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 after inside the stream listeners and video news readers know I've been badgering them for years that they should do this. I would say that the early uh, view is that the ad business is already a home run for them and is poised to be a grand slam home run for them because they're really just doing the linear replacement, the follow the eyeballs type selling right now. They haven't even yet gotten into anything lower funnel or full funnel, which as we've talked about many times with CTV advertising is ultimately where the industry is going and is even more profitable because that's basically rerunning the digital playbook that Google, Facebook, everybody else in the digital world has run. High margin, highly formulaic, high ROI. Netflix hasn't yet even touched any of that. So I think there's, there are, you know, without sounding like I've had too much Kool-Aid, I, I, I mean, we said back in October of 22 in our podcast then on Netflix related to uh, password, the end of password sharing and the advent of ad supported. I'm just looking at my write up. We said we do a little bit of back of the envelope math that illustrates the significant revenue opportunities all of this will create for Netflix. I think significant was an understatement. I think it's significant times three, times four, times five in terms of what Netflix has ahead of it related to the ad business primarily and the password uh, sharing, driving new subscribers secondarily. What do you think? So I don't want to get too far out ahead of our skis here, Will. It's very early days. I think I saw an estimate, I think it was a Wall Street Journal, I can't remember what it was, that said about a million people had switched or were using the ad plan earlier earlier this quarter. So you know, one of the things they didn't say was they they didn't say they were making massive amounts of money. If it's only seven, uh, if it's only one million, then they've only made what twenty twenty five million dollars on eight billion dollars in in Q one. So it's not a huge part of their revenue stream yet. Um, so you know, we should be a little bit cautious here. But I think that the, one of the things that when I looked, you know, obviously Disney Plus in, uh, introduced their ad scheme about the same time. Can't wait to see their results for this quarter to see how they've done with that and if they give us any detail. Uh, but I always expected, I expected Netflix to do better. And the reason was just really, really simple. I looked at the engagement and all the data I see shows People who watch Netflix use that service at least four times longer in a month than they use Disney+. And when you've got engagement like that, when you've got people watching that length of time, they're going to see a lot of ads if they're watching for that length of time. And that's just, you know, a great way, (laughs) a great way of using the ad plan to generate a lot of revenue amongst those viewers. So... That was one of the reasons why I thought that Netflix would do better than Disney Plus going forward. 
And for all the reasons you said, I think they will continue to do better. It's still so early in the game for them. And they're still in their, quote, learning phase where they're figuring this all out. They've got a lot of runway to run here, Will. So, yeah, I think it's it was, as we've been saying for a long time, that they should do it. They did it, and they're doing pretty well out of it. And I think they'll continue to do pretty well out of it. The, the You mentioned the fact that they switched to... They actually gave ad viewers better quality 1080 and a couple of extra streams. And when you think about it, it makes perfect sense, right? Because if they're actually making more money from the ad-supported viewers, getting more people to what to switch to the ad-supported tier makes them more money. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's you know? obviously that's the bottom line here. And yeah. I think it's also worth noting that Spence Newman said in the commentary, I mean, they said it in the letter to shareholders, and then he emphasized the point again in the earnings call, that they... They notched up their forecast on operating margins to 18 to 20%. They're already willing to do that, already willing to do that. That's how confident they are in the profitability of the ad business and the potential of the password and the end of password sharing. They're already notching up their operating margin profile. I think that's the first of a number of subsequent notches up that we're going to see from them and uh and i think it's also you know it's also really worth noting that we have lived through the launch of netflix's ad supported tier has coincided with a nuclear winter in the advertising business nuclear winter everybody that i talk to about the ad business talks about how the cliff that it went off as a result of the post-pandemic, the recession, interest rates rising, SVB Bank, uh, SV Silicon Valley Bank uh, going belly up. These are, these are tectonic things that have happened in the ad business over the last six to 12 months that Netflix had the misfortune of launching right into. And despite all of that, look at the performance Imagine when the wind turns from a headwind to a tailwind. Yeah. What happens? Yeah. Imagine when Netflix goes full funnel. I mean, yeah, I, again, listeners know that I rarely, rarely get too excited. <laughs> <laughs> I am very cautious by nature. Here, I see a lot of positive signs. I really do. I see a yeah. lot of positive signs, a lot of positive early indicators. For Will, Netflix. when you take. When you take the ad business and the password sharing thing, both of which I think are going to be accretive to revenue. I think at the end of all of this, uh, Will, in 2024, the revenue that Netflix is going to be earning is going to be both these moves, these password sharing and the ad moves are going to really help boost revenue at the company, whether or not they increase subscribers. I think I think that's that's the bottom line here. Well, and and the last thing I'll say before we start wrapping this up, Colin, is that there's a whole bigger conversation going on in the industry right now about the evolution of business models from pure paid SVOD to hybrid models that are partly paid, partly ad supported, all the way to the other end of the spectrum with the fast, the completely free ad supported models. And... I think that Netflix is going to 
really their performance is going to add fuel to the fire of companies wanting to play in the ad space, whether it's pure, fast, or hybrid, like the basic with ads plan or Hulu or Disney Plus, et cetera. I think this is going to add to the excitement around this and uh, around the ad business. And, you know, ultimately, I think that's a positive for consumers because the more innovation, the more money there is in advertising, the more innovation there's going to be in advertising, the better the user experience is going to be. I, I just had a nice, very short, although very pleasant experience the other night watching NBA basketball. I was watching, of course, on YouTube TV, which listeners know I use. I believe the game was on TNT, almost positive. I, I can't remember if there's even another network. It's all kind of a blur to me. But in any event, there was an ad running that uh, was not targeted. I can't remember what it was for, a pickup truck or you know, feminine care products or a beer that I have no interest in or whatever. And a little thing popped up on the screen that said, if you would prefer not to watch this ad and instead have a quiet Zen moment, click here, which I did. And the ad cut immediately to one of the famous YouTube TV Zen moments. Zen moments. You yep. know, where they're showing <laughs> in a flyover of the Grand Canyon or whatever else and playing nice calm music. And they did that for another, whatever it was, 30, 35 seconds, you know, 20, 25 seconds more realistically. And I thought that was really nice. You know, I'd much rather have a Zen moment than listen to a pounding, you know, truck commercial, truck or commercial yeah. or whatever. Yep. So I thought that was really pleasant. And the only question I had was, what does that business model look like? I mean, the only thing I could <laughs> yeah. think of was that YouTube TV has tested it and realizes that they actually, by providing a pleasant little moment like that, they actually drive up subscriber satisfaction and loyalty and lifetime value. So it's more worthwhile to them to cut you over to a Zen moment than to monetize that time with an ad. I don't know. Can you think of any other reason? I cannot, Will. Um, it's, it's, a it's a really interesting approach. Yeah. There was just one more thing, Will, yeah. I think we cannot end the podcast without mentioning, and that is the fact that Netflix has made the decision yeah. that it will shutter DVD.com. It will ship its last DVDs in September of this year and shut the business down. And uh, remember, this is the thing that got it all started in the 90s when Netflix uh, yeah. was so successful with that yeah. DVD by mail service. And interestingly, to, to sort of counterpoint that, Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment, which has just purchased Redbox, is putting 1,500 new kiosks in Dollar General stores. And Bill Ruhan, who's the CEO of Chicken Soup for the Soul, has actually expressed interest in buying DVD.com off Netflix. So it wouldn't just get shut down. It could potentially, I suppose, end up in Redbox's hand. Uh, so, I don't know, two interesting views of the market. Yeah. And I'll just toss into that one yeah. data point. Back in 2013, this rental business in the US was worth $4 billion. Want to take a guess at what it was worth last year in the US, Will? $40. <laughs> it was worth <laughs> 0.6 billion, 620 so, million. So it lost 3.4 billion of its $4 billion of value yeah. in 10 years. 
Yeah, it's under well, 25% of what it's, it's about 15% of what it was in 2013. I don't know, Colin. Whenever anybody tells me that streaming is a fad, I just keep saying I really think it's here for the long term. I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. <laughs> yep, yeah. Well, we uh, need to wrap it up, one Colin. Day, one door closes, we, another one opens. Netflix, we do, we as do. Is, it tends to do, is on the right side of history. Not always with the best timing, not always the most delicate transitions, uh, but those are very smart people over there at Netflix. And everybody can learn from them, I think, about where yep. the market is going. Yes, indeed. But I think, as you say, that's it for this week. That's it for this week, Colin. Until next week, thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you all again next week. Inside the Stream is a production of InScreen Media and Video News, all rights reserved.